Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey there, Tech Stuff listeners. This is Jonathan Strickland, and I've got a request for all of you. Now, Chris and I have decided that we're going to try an experiment. We're doing our first crowdsourced episode of Tech Stuff, and we want to know what your pick is for the worst video game of all time. Now, Nominations, you can, you can make one nomination. You nominate one game and you need to tell us the name of the game and the platform it was on. And it can be any platform. It can be an arcade game. It can be a PC, Mac, uh, Xbox, PS3, Nintendo, handheld console. It can be web based if you like. But just you let us know what the platform is so we can make sure we count that as the votes. So you can nominate your game either through email, which is techstuff at HowStuffWorks.com, or you can nominate through Twitter or Facebook. And we're going to put a a cutoff date on this. I I want to have the episode go up by the end of September of 2011. So let's say you need to get your nominations in by September 8th, 2011. So if you get those nominations into us, we will make sure we include those in the process and we will have an episode where we give you the worst video games of all time based upon the votes of our listeners. Thanks a lot. Can't wait to hear from you. 
touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Ah, uh, yes. So that's sort of pertinent to... Yeah, it's pertinent to our discussion, but before we get into it, let's start off with a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Michael, who says, Hi, Chris and Jonathan. I've been listening to your podcast for about seven months and enjoy them immensely, and I figured I should write in to not only tell you this, but also suggest an idea for a podcast topic. I'm writing this email on the day after more riots in London, and as I watch the rolling news coverage, I keep hearing people suggesting that social media was integral to the way the looting and violence played out. They say Twitter is being used to plan and suggest places to go and loot, and that BlackBerry Messenger is being used to privately distribute this info to hundreds of people at a time. As is the way with the mainstream media, they are quick to jump to conclusions that only social media could have possibly caused these displays of thuggery and violence and forget the fact that social media can be used for both harm and for good. In recent months, the Arab Spring has similar commentary. Twitter has been blocked in certain countries, and many rallies have been organized using only Twitter. What do you guys make of this? Has social media been as integral as everyone is saying it has been? What about in the days before social media? What tech was used back then to organize protests and uprisings? Is all of this an urban myth? I hope you'll be able to explain this to all of us peaceful tech stuff listeners. Thanks for all the fun, Michael. Michael, uh, we are going to talk about technology and its role in the recent London and, well, really, riots across the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and by recent, I mean we are recording this in early August of 2011. So uh, as of the recording of this podcast, there are still disturbances in the UK that are related to these riots, and hopefully they will be uh, resolved soon. Um, yeah. Um, of course, we have brought up similar topics um in the past, we yes. talked about um, how Twitter was being used in Iran um, to help people communicate with one another. I think we also um, mentioned Egypt. Egypt, yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and some of the other countries, too, where people were using social media, fi- specifically Facebook and Twitter, um, to help them organize their efforts. Um, and I would I would say that, uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly... In those cases, I mean, even the United States government sort of got involved, um, supporting supporting um, the the efforts of people to use these services. Right, right. As and, a matter of fact, Twitter was planning on going undergoing some maintenance and taking down the service um, following the Iranian uh, elections and and, and the uh, unrest that followed right. in the protests. And, and the uh, Obama administration requested that they hold off on that maintenance. Yes, yes, which uh, tr- Twitter agreed to do. Um, I would say that integral might be kind of a strong word. I might yeah. say that it, that, that using these technologies, um, may have been integral to the way they were carried out. Yeah. It's the, we have to separate the reasons for the, uh, unrest and the, uh, the, the methodology they use to carry it out. We have to separate those two things because yes. the technology did not cause these riots. No. And in fact, to, to try and sum up what these riots were caused by in a, a soundbite or two is doing it a terrible, 
disservice. Yeah. Uh, the first of all, I cannot even pretend to understand the full social and political culture in the UK that kind of led up to this event. We we know, of course, that the precipitating event was the the uh, uh, the death of a man at the hands of the police, the Metropolitan London Police, mm-hmm. um, and that that kind of was the spark that started everything. But the riots, of course, far out. Uh, eclipsed that initial event. And it's clear, or at least it appears to be clear, that the motivations behind the people who are carrying out these riots have little, if anything, to do with that spark. I I get the sense that some of the rioters may have had that event in mind um, when they started, but that other people may just be rioting to loot you use well, it as an excuse to loot. And this happens in a lot of cases yeah. when there is rioting. Right. So I, I, I don't think everyone's motivation for participating is the same. I think what you have is you have a, a population of people who feel uh, some sort of deep resentment and anger, which even they may not even be necessarily conscious of or they may be unable to articulate that. Uh, they Some of them have been articulating their their feelings toward the media, but in ways that seem maybe disingenuous or at least it's it's hard to connect the feelings with the actions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the actions we're talking about in London and in the UK in general are more about very destructive behavior, uh, about looting. And the targets for this behavior tend to be small businesses, family-owned businesses. We're not talking about institutions, right? Right. Because you would say that well this is a if this is truly a political statement, then you would think you would target institutions that represent whatever the opposing ideology is. Right. Like if you were going to attack, say, parliament to represent the government or uh the police station because you didn't like the police. Right. Or or large banks because right. that represents the government as well. Right. Then you mm-hmm. you know that then you could argue well that's a very or at least a, a, a clearer political statement than attacking a family owned community based business. Right. In that case what you're saying is that well we have rioters who are attacking businesses within their own community so they are ultimately hurting their own community. This is not pushing forward any sort of political ideology, this looks more like an example of someone who uh, desires certain things in their life that they otherwise are unable to to uh, obtain. Mm-hmm. And they're taking the opportunity of chaos to slip in and grab those things. So we're getting really philosophical here, but yeah. it's, it's kind of like um, one of the great discussions I've seen online kind of talked about how we have created this, this – uh, Environment of consumerism. Yeah. Right? Consumerism is considered something that's a good thing. You know, back when, uh, after the, the 9-11, uh, uh, tragedy here in the United States, we had government officials saying the best thing we can do is go out there and uh, business as usual, go out and buy stuff. I mean, buying things was definitely part of the strategy to continue to combat this terrorism, which mm-hmm. is saying that consumerism is like a foundation of what our society is right now. So we mm-hmm. have promoted this idea that to make your life better, you should go out and buy stuff. And I'm not saying whether or not that's good or bad. I'm not passing judgment on that because mm-hmm. I'm a consumer. I have lots of things that 
that if you were to step outside and be objective, you'd say, all right, that's a luxury. That's not a, that's not something you have to have, right? I mean, I've got those things. I've got <laughs> some of them sitting in front of me. Um, but the promotion of consumerism to a, uh, a population of people who don't have the, the income to spend on that consumerism can create a, a level of frustration and anger and greed. You've got these people who are being told over and over again, buying this will make you happy. Mm-hmm. You know, owning this will make you a better person. That kind of message gets put forth and then they have no avenue where they can actually purchase said product. And then they have this opportunity to just take things and be part of this consumer uh, uh, environment, uh, bypassing the whole being, you know, uh, earning the money and purchasing things on your own, using your own money, that kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause of the riots either. That's just one factor. And it's such a complex issue that you can't boil it down to because of this, this happened. Yeah. It's far more complex, but I, I'm just, that was just my way of pointing out that this is a really complicated problem. You can't just say, uh, uh, oh, it's technology's fault. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can't even say it's just the government's fault. There's so many, I mean, there are personal choices that are involved here too. You can't, you cannot absolve the rioters from personal responsibility either. But at the same time, you can't just say, oh, these are, these are bad people. Mm-hmm. Because if you just say they're bad people, you're just dismissing them and you're ultimately saying, this is always going to happen because mm-hmm. some people are just bad. So you resolved yourself to future riots. You know, there's no solution there because you've just made a label. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm sorry, my soapbox is getting a little unsteady. <laughs> Let me step down here. Yeah. So, so as far as technology's role, yeah, um, you know, the, the the web services that people are using, you know, Twitter and Facebook, and and specifically smartphone BlackBerry. Yeah, um, in this case. Uh, have been blamed by some in the media, I think. Um, but again, and, th- these technologies, and government officials, too. And sub- yeah. But these, I mean, I-, I think it's important, as Michael points out, to note that these these services are basically neither good nor evil. They're just tools that can be used for anything, really. Right. right. Um, I mean, in a lot of cases, they're used to you know communicate with friends or or you know uh, used for uh, consumers to find new deals. That happens a lot on Twitter, especially, right. you know, hey, uh, mention this tweet and get 50% off a or, thing. Or to disseminate news. Or to disseminate news. I mean, they can be used for all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, they can also be used to communicate hate speech. Yep. Um, and it's not the, again, it's not the tool's fault. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's just a medium of communication. Right, right. So, and, and, and the, uh, um, Iranian elections and the the aftermath that followed, people were using uh, these tools to organize themselves mm-hmm. and stay a step ahead of the the authorities who are trying to shut them down. So uh, it was very much like a um, a flash mob might be. Yeah. Again, another another something you can use these tools for that can be a lot of fun. Um, but they were using it basically to uh, arrange to be at a certain place at a certain time. Mm-hmm. They would meet, you know, they would all take their own path to get there. They would meet, they would do a demonstration, and then they would leave to organize again in another location. And by right. the time the authorities were able to catch up with them, or they thought they would catch up with them, they were gone. Yeah, the gr- crowd had dispersed and it wasn't, you know, I mean, and, they, they were getting their point across by getting a lot of media attention and, and showing solidarity. Mm-hmm. But they were also being very careful not to become an easy target. 
Right, right. And in the in this case, you know, a lot of people in the media said this is a good thing. Look how uh, advanced this is and how yeah. this wouldn't have been a, one possible without it. And it really, uh, you would have had to have met with everyone and agreed to everything up front. So no, technology is not essential to making this happen, but it does make it a whole lot easier. Yeah, and that you it also raises the question of uh, for for especially for countries where you have civil disobedience in response to some sort of oppressive government. Right. However you want to define that. Uh, right. The question come comes up like, well, why why now? Right. Why does this happen now as opposed to 10 years ago? And part of that is that technology has made it easier for people to organize these kind of protests and to communicate with one another and to uh, get the word out so that the world at large knows what's going on. It's not just a, a regional thing. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, you could say that technology has helped uh, these sort of things happen. But again, it's not it's just because technology is a tool that's been used, and it's not that the desire wasn't there ten years ago. It's just that maybe the opportunity was uh, had a higher barrier to it, and so getting over that barrier was was what was preventing these sort of uh, uh, outbreaks of, of civil disobedience, if you prefer, uh, from happening. Yeah, these these tools are far more available to people now than they were in the past. Sure. Um, so now, in the case with the UK riots, that. To differentiate them between those and the political uh, uh, protests that we've seen in other places of the world, uh, the the big problem here is that a lot of the people who are who have been using these, or at least the publicized uses of social media and Blackberries and things like that, uh, have been for uh, people in the riots to coordinate attacks on certain businesses. So essentially, what happens is you've got a couple of people who are casing a place, and they see that there is not a very strong police presence in a particular part of London. So they send out the word, and then that word gets sent out wider and wider and wider, and then next thing you know, you've got a full full-blown uh, riot on your hands mm-hmm. with people breaking into those businesses because they know, based on those messages, that there's not a real police presence. So there's not there's not really much of a chance of getting uh, caught. So mm-hmm. they take uh, the advantage of, of the situation and they break in and they, they loot, essentially. Yeah. And uh, then you've got some people who go even further than that who are burning buildings, yes. which – I, I can't even get into the psychology of that. I mean, no. it, it's so foreign to me that not only are you like, I, I don't understand the the motivations behind it. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's just something else that is um, really indefinable. And I, I can't pretend to understand, so I'm not really going to go into it. But mm-hmm. at any rate, um, you've got the the use of this technology to organize these uh, and organize is really kind of kind of too strong a word. It's more like a call to arms saying, hey, guys, if you want free stuff, come here and break in and you can take it from this place. Yeah. It's not really so much organizing as it is just uh, snatching up an opportunity because the police are otherwise occupied. And you've got a very mobile uh, group out there. I mean, these are all, for the most part, you know, if you see the news, they all talk about being youths. So they're young people you know, in their teens and 20s mostly. I've, I've heard some as young as 10. So you've got the, yeah, very young people who are in a city that has uh, a lot of uh, ways of getting around, particularly using the underground system, the, the mm-hmm. tube. Um, so there's been talk about possibly shutting down just the the uh, uh, the cell networks around tube stations. Mm-hmm. So in other words, turning those towers off or, or shutting it down so that 
people can't communicate when they're near a tube station because part of it is that, you know, they want to stay as mobile as possible so they can jump on the next opportunity. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, so that means they're normally staying pretty close to the various tube stations in order to be able to get to whatever part of London is going to be the next target. Mm-hmm. And if you shut that down, then you really kind of, um, uh, the theory is that you would, you would silence them. Same sort of thing with some of the social networks and the services. There's been some discussion in British government about what to do about the the text messaging and the BlackBerry messaging and, and using social networks like Twitter and Facebook. What do you do about that and how do you stop those from being tools of uh, destruction? Right. And uh, there's a lot of debate on that. Yeah, I was I was going to say let's talk a little bit about the the tools sure. specifically. Um, Facebook and Twitter are sort of no brainers, um, and they're easy for people to use. They're they're available via smartphones and and all sorts of devices, of course. Um, but they're not encrypted in any way, um, so it's it's easy enough to post those messages, but it's also easy enough for people in law enforcement to keep their eyes on it. Um, in fact, I have seen some reports that went so far as to suggest that they believe that people were posting messages deliberately intended to mislead yeah. the authorities to going to another location. And then the real target was somewhere else that they wanted to hit, um, that the rioters wanted to attack. Um and I, I just I, to, I don't know whether that's accurate or not, but sure. that was that that is a a uh, you know a thought that they had had at one point. And I just want to point out that Facebook has said that you know their policy is that they don't allow uh, hate speech or messages that condone violence or or are a call to violence or anything like that on right. their network. So that if they if anyone working for Facebook sees that, they will remove that post. So at least Facebook already is saying that you know. Uh, we don't need government intervention necessarily because we already do the, this ourselves. Although one might wonder how effective that can be. I mean, how this th- th- that raises another question that we'll get to in a minute about how viable would a, a solution be to to limit or shut down these social networking services. But that's we'll have to get into that discussion before. Uh, I, I mean, after we talk about all the different specific uh, services. Mm-hmm. The the most interesting one to me is. The BlackBerry Messenger. Right. Um, apparently, according to Ofcom, mm-hmm. uh, Blackberries are more common phones among teens in the United Kingdom. Uh, between the ages of 13 to 18, it's more, uh, about 37% mm-hmm. of, uh, kids have a BlackBerry. Now I think, uh, it's funny because, again, on many occasions, you and I have talked about how uh, BlackBerry has been sort of left behind by uh, other handset manufacturers and and operating system manufacturers, most specifically Android and uh, Apple's iOS. But um, you know, even the Windows Phone ha- is more of a consumer device. So I don't think of the BlackBerry as being a consumer device, but apparently it is especially popular among this age group in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the reason this is interesting is simply because the BlackBerry, since it is intended originally to be uh, an enterprise level, basically a, a corporate uh, messaging service, um, it's encrypted. So, uh, you know, and, and you may not see that with the text messaging um, on your local phone or smartphone. So 
those messages are going over an encrypted private network, BlackBerry's network. Yeah. And therefore, the the police cannot see what these people who are using those devices are are saying. They could be talking about, you know, anything, but they could also be used for uh, coordination of activities by uh, people who are involved with the riots. So um, the the. Uh, British government is particularly concerned about that, I have noticed, mm-hmm. um, because they cannot see what's going on. Now, apparently there are laws that say, um, you know, they have said we are uh, – and London is a very camera-heavy city. Yeah. Um, they are saying that, you know, we, we can identify you and we can see that you are involved with this and, and committing these acts. We will bring you to justice. Um, apparently there are some laws that say that – um, they can't just subpoena all these messaging records without no, to, knowing, right. in fact, that it is that person up front and then getting the phone records from that person to confirm whether or not he or she was involved. Which seems kind of interesting. I, I, I know it's more complicated than that, but then you're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're, you're arguing like the, the argument seems to be you can't get the evidence that they d- committed something unless you can prove that they committed something already, which is a catch-22, right? Yes. Um Unless you're just saying that you want more corroborating evidence and you already had plenty of evidence to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the alternative is you can say, uh, well, how, how strict is that? If you get an accusation, is that enough for it to be, to, to get a request for the information? Cause, uh, the way it's worded, it sounds like you have to have more than just an accusation. Cause otherwise, yeah. otherwise there's no, there's no teeth to that at all, right? Right. Um, and, and apparently, uh, Research in Motion, which is the Canadian company that, uh, is behind the BlackBerry yes. has said it will cooperate with authorities, which uh, caused a group of hackers called Team Poison yeah. to uh, take over the BlackBerry blog, basically break in. And they posted a message saying that um, if RIM, as Research in Motion is known popularly, mm-hmm. uh, cooperates with the police, then they will, you know, stage an attack against. And Team, Bo- Team Poison also has a history with other anti-sec. Uh, hacker groups like yeah. Anonymous and LulzSec. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, in a way, they're almost like rivals to LulzSec. Um, that's kind of, that's probably putting it a little too black and white. It's just like any of these groups, it's kind of hazy because, I mean, the, the very nature of the groups themselves are, are pretty hazy. Um, and t- to add on to this, the, the idea that the government is looking into the possibility of, of limiting or shutting down these services has it, it gathered a lot of criticism early, early on, and there are m- many reasons why the criticisms have uh, been directed at this this uh, potential uh, route of action. Which I should add, you know, the government never said that it was going to do this; it said it was con- looking at it, like considering it. Like, mm-hmm. Which means that they could have come to the same conclusions that everyone else has, or that a lot of the vocal opponents have come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those is just that. You know, using this as a blanket uh, approach means that you are are eliminating the social rights of innocent people. You know, if you were to just shut down these services and the uh, all all across the board, then innocent people who have nothing to do with the riots would also have that avenue of communication taken away from them. And so that begins to raise a question of: Are you violating the civil rights of innocent people? Right. Uh, if you are trying to identify people and block them based upon their identity, that raises the question of how how uh, viable is this operation? Because one, 
you have to identify everyone, so that's a huge mm-hmm. job. Two, you have to block them. And then three, you have to deal with the fact that there are ways around bans and being blocked. There are web yep. proxies that are changing your, your uh, IP address on your device. They're using other services that weren't covered under the ban in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different ways around it. And it's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, on the highest setting, you, you you knock down one avenue of communication and five more have sprung up. Mm-hmm. So it may not even be viable unless, again, unless you did an all or nothing kind of approach. But in that case, you're blanketing everyone. And then who, how do you respond to – how do you make an emergency phone call right. if they've shut down the cell phone system? Like it means that you've cut down the communication of everybody. So it may just not even be – Possible, much less. Uh, you you can all argue the social reasons, but just the technological Im- uh, implementation is so complex that it may be off the board. Yeah, there are just too many people, including the authorities, who are relying on these networks. Yeah, um, for that to be feasible. But I do want to, before we get too far into it, it, it these and this is illustrative of uh, of Michael's point too. Um, there are people who are using the exact same services to organize cleanup efforts. Right. Um, or even to alert that there's trouble brewing. So mm-hmm, in some mm-hmm. cases, it's, it's some cases you have people who are using these same services saying, uh, we need, you know, to bring attention to this because there's trouble coming this way. And then there's others who are saying, well, the troubles happened. Let's organize a, a cleanup effort to deal with the damages. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. where you're getting that whole spirit of, of London and spirit of UK kind of thing coming out where, uh, it's all these, these community members banding together to rebuild the, uh, the communities after the destructive riots. And I, and some of these riots have been. Yes. Unthinkably destructive. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I look at the pictures and I'm thinking, this looks like if you had shown this picture to me in black and white, I would have said, ah, oh, it's a photo of London after the Blitz. Yeah. I mean, that's how bad some of these communities have been hit. Yeah. And and I've seen it compared um, just on some of the people that I followed on social networks. You know, people have said that it's sort of in cleaning it up. It's sort of like the spirit of the Blitz, like, they're, yeah. you know, pushing back and and and. Uh, helping clean up. Um, one uh, one article that I had read on the BBC News site um, mentioned Dan Thompson, who's an, an artist, and uh, he started a Twitter account called at Riot Cleanup. Um, and Riot Cleanup had, uh, when I first checked it out, more than 86,000 followers. are down, as of this recording, to a little under uh, about 85,500, um, which suggests to me that things may be quieting down a little bit. Um, but yeah, basically, and it had spawned other groups too to start their own riot cleanups in, in other cities, not just in London, but people were talking about specific areas where, uh, people needed help, um, cleaning up some of the mess and the rubble from, uh, you know, buildings that had been, uh, broken into and in some cases destroyed. Um, and I think that, uh, generally what I had read was that efforts like this had made people feel like, uh, you know, it, people, I, a lot of the, again, people that I've read, um, about on social media were very, very disturbed and upset. Mm-hmm. Um, some going as, so far as to say that they were not very proud of their country because their, uh, their countrymen were doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a very sad statement. Yeah. Um, but I think these kinds of things like the riot cleanup account are doing a lot to help People feel like they can rally and and feel better about themselves and about the areas they live in and take care of some of the things that were damaged. Um, 
and hopefully to to not give the sense to people who don't use Twitter or Facebook or these higher technology uh, services that no, they're not all you know. They can be used for good things. Yeah, uh, you know because yeah, I mean something like this gets press, and people who don't use them don't understand that you know the technology is not necessarily to blame. But can be used to enable those, yeah, those I mean, people. If we took the technology out of this story entirely, the thing, there probably still would have been riots. They just may not have been as intense and as numerous as they have been over the last few days. Um, yeah. It certainly but, enabled people to be more agile in their movements. Right, right. Yeah, the technology aided, but it did not cause this. And, the, and to suggest otherwise is being pretty naive and short-sighted. Um, the... The takeaway I get is that what you need to do is look at the underlying problems that allowed this situation to even start. And mm-hmm. it may very well be that there is no solution to those underlying problems. It might well be that the problems that exist are so so uh, ingrained in our society that there's no real way to solve them, which right. is is unfortunate. It's also a uh, possibly true, but without actually looking at it, we can't really come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. And to just jump on the technology aspect of this story is to ignore the deeper causes that are fueling the the riots in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, the technology part is a problem. I mean, you want the the government has to do something, right? And in fact, by the time we're recording this podcast, they're already been some pretty significant strides and the riots do seem to be uh to be calming down now yes uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it seemed to be under control but the government had was in a tough position yes. because it had to respond it had all these innocent people who were being targeted and through no fault of their own and they had very few uh resources at their disposal to be able to respond to the this issue and one of the you know they're looking for a quick and and relatively easy solution to a very complex problem yes and i'm not saying that the government was just focusing on technology or just focusing on a quick solution but that was one of the things they had the government had to consider so you know when you're looking at something as widespread as that and so Apparently out of control, mm-hmm. and and it's due to very complex factors that are that have been boiling up for generations. There's no real easy solution in the first place. So I think I think one the government said that they were looking at that. I think uh, if they had thought about it a, a little bit longer or, mm-hmm. or talked with some experts, they would have realized very quickly that 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 shutting this down is not really a viable choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the media jumping on the announcement, I think that made it more than what it was as far as the, the technology aspect and what to do about it is concerned. It, it drew a lot of attention yeah. to it and probably made more of a, a mountain out of it than yeah. it should have been. But at the same time, I mean, it was very obvious that the technology oh, was yeah. playing a role. I mean, there's no way of getting around it. It's just that, again, uh, if the technology hadn't been there, I think we would have still seen a disturbance. It just wouldn't have been as coordinated. Right. So you can't, you know, shutting down the means of communication wouldn't necessarily solve any problems. So uh, thank you so much, Michael, for for sending that question in. And I mean, I think this is a good companion piece to our other one about using technology in, in various forms of uh, protests. Um, 
because this is kind of like the the opposite, right? Using them in order to cause uh, damage and maybe for personal gain as opposed to trying to actually make social and political changes. Because I, I get the feeling that these riots really didn't have a goal outside of mayhem and, and looting, um, at least not one that was clear to the average uh, observer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I'm still struggling to understand it, and I probably will for quite some time. Uh, so, great question. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions for future tech stuff topics, we highly recommend you get in touch with us and let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, assuming your government hasn't blocked it. Uh, the handle there is techstuffhsw, and you can email us. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was wounded. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.